0: Go to Proverbs chapter 17 this morning, if you would. Proverbs chapter 17. Of course, this being Father's Day, my subject was kind of picked for me. So we're going to talk about fathers today. Fathers are special people uh mothers are too of course you know i wouldn't i wouldn't i don't well I don't, I don't say that one's more important than the other god designed the home to have mother and father and uh, that's his plan although it doesn't always happen that way we live in a sinful world and unfortunately sometimes things happen that are not under our control and uh But, you know, people make choices that they shouldn't. But anyway, fathers are very important. You know, uh, Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 6 says this, Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. This morning the title of the message is The Glory of Children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your word. We thank you for this topic and this day that's been set aside to honor fathers. And I pray that you'd help me as I preach, teach your word, that it would encourage fathers, would-be fathers, young men who one day may be married and have children. I pray that you would just encourage and challenge us and Father, all these principles that we're going to talk about this morning can be applied to every person's life. So we pray that you'd help us to just glorify you, and pray especially to speak to us as fathers. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Children's children are a crown of old men. A crown speaks of a, it's an ornament which displays sovereignty, distinction, authority, victory. You know, that's kind of what a crown is. Uh, and you know, those children's children, just something special about them is their grandparents. There's something special about grandchildren. They're like a crown. But it also says, and the glory of children are their fathers. And that word glory means boasting of an individual. Every little child will boast naturally boasts about their fathers. Uh, you know, when I worked for the Yoder family years ago, one day we were mending fence close to the neighbor's house, and the neighbor's little boy came out, and he was probably three, four years old, and he came out into the yard and began to talk and, with Mr. Yoder and I, and Mr. Yoder asked him what he was going to be when he grew up, and you know what he said. I'm going to be just like Daddy. You know, and Mr. Yoder said, that's about what every boy aspires to be at that age. They want to be like Daddy. You know the the story about the three little boys that are bragging about their dads. The first boy said, my dad's a fireman. He's so fast, he can throw his axe and run and catch it before it lands. And the second boy says, well, oh, yeah, well, my daddy's a policeman. He's so fast, he can fire his gun and outrun the bullet." Third boy says, Well, that's nothing. My daddy works for the city and he's so fast he gets off at five and is home at four <laughs> thirty. I just had to you know, tell that with the day. <laughs> uh, of course, I gotta tell this too. There's three little boys in a schoolyard bragging about their fathers and who had the best father. And the first boy says, My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper and he calls it a poem, and they give him hundred dollars for it. And the second boy says, well, that's nothing. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a song, and they give him $1,000. And the third boy says, well, my dad's even better than that. He scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, calls it a sermon. It takes six men to collect the money. (laughs) You see, fathers are important. Fathers are important. But the sad reality is fatherhood is under... Intense assault, as is the home in America, but the greatest attack is toward fathers. Um, in the United States, and this this is this was on a website called Life Is Beautiful. It's the Ministries of Faith. They gave thirty six shocking statistics on fatherless homes. This was October fourth, two thousand eighteen, and. The beginning of the article says, quote, In the United States, there are more than 64 million men who identify themselves as being a father. Out of that figure, only 26.5 million are part of a home where they are married to a spouse and have children under the age of 18 living there. That's less than half. Less than half. Fathers are important. Statistically, 85% of youth who are currently in prison grow up in fatherless homes. And seven out of every ten youth that are housed in state-operated correctional facilities, including detention and residential treatment, come from a fatherless home. And we could go on and talk about many other things that are very discouraging, but, but that you know, tells us that we have a problem. And you know, as we think about these, this answer that I, this little boy gave, you know, I'm going to be just like my daddy, that answer should make us fathers consider the depth of influence and responsibility we have to our children. Yeah, but we live in a time and many are questioning the need of fathers and rejecting the need of male leadership or even adult leadership for that matter. You know, all of a sudden we have children to become authorities on climate change. Greta Thunberg, or Berg. And gun rights, David Hogg, you know. He's all of a sudden a, a specialist on gun rights. High school kid. He's not a high school kid anymore, but he was. Aristotle said this, and this was in uh, Constitutional 101, a reader of the Hills State College, and this is what he said, quote, It is not appropriate for a young person to be a student of politics since the young are inexperienced in the actions of life. While these are the things about which politics speak from, which it, which it reasons, also, since young are apt to follow their impulses, they would hear such discourses without purpose or benefit, since their end is not knowing but action. Unquote. And and so, you know, this idea of that you know fatherhood is, is not necessary or not important uh, is not something is 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 something that the world is promoting, but sadly, so called churches are doing it as well. Um, prior to the 2020 election, I watched a video of an interview of a pastor that, from a Prayer Lakes church in Iowa did with his daughter and son who were around, between the, the ages of 11 and 13. I'm saying say some around that age. I don't know exactly. It did say, but I can't remember exactly. But I know they, were, they weren't They were older than 13 and probably youngest of 11. Their daughter and son... And, and the interview was about how one should vote in the upcoming election, presidential election. And it was nothing about policy, but about how one feels about personalities and the criticizing of other candidates. And that was the bottom line. So, and, and so political affiliation, the end of the video, the conclusion was political affiliation did not matter. That was what was being promoted by this Pastor. He called himself, but that's an unreal world. How one because how one believes determines their associations. You know that's something young and unlearned do not understand. In fact, look at Isaiah chapter three. Isaiah chapter three, and Isaiah prophesied of these times, and, and of course this is a prophecy concerning Israel. But it's it's fitting. To our day, in Isaiah chapter 3, and verse 1, says, Behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem, from Judah, the stay, and the staff, the whole stay of bread, and the whole stay of water. The mighty man, and the man of war, the judge, and the prophet, and the prudent, and the ancient, the captain of fifty, and honorable men, and the counselor, and the cunning artificer, artificer, and the eloquent orator." And I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. And the people shall be oppressed, everyone by another, and everyone by his neighbor. The children shall behave themselves proudly against the ancient, and the base against the honorable. You know, when was the last time you went to Walmart and some saw some child behaving himself proudly against their parents? It's commonplace. There's a real easy, quick solution to that called the Board of Education. But notice, drop on down. It goes on here in verse 12. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err, and destroy the ways of thy paths. You know, we know that BLM, quote, and this was a quote from them, some, one of their purposes is, quote, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, unquote. one of their purposes is to destroy the Western nucleus nuclear family. The idea of a father, mother, and children. Father and mother married, of course. They want to destroy that. That is Marxism. That's Marxism. So the foundation of our society is under assault. And when you undermine fathers, you undermine authority representative of God. Which is a rejection of the authority of God himself. Authority of God himself. In a Prager U video uh, titled, What Are Fathers For?, July seventh, 2021. Dennis Prager said this: "Are fathers necessary? For all of recorded history, the need to explain why fathers are necessary would have been regarded as well unnecessary. It would have been like explaining why water or air is necessary. But live in a time when which the obvious is routinely denied. There have been articles in most prestigious." journals denying the importance of fathers. The Atlantic Magazine, for example, published an article titled, Are Fathers Necessary? A paternal con- contribution may not be as essential as we think. The New York Times published a discussion among five intellectuals titled, quote, What Are Fathers For? Unquote. One of them, Hannah Rosen, an editor of the New York Magazine, opened a response by stating, quote, I'm not sure whether a child needs a father, Unquote. I could give you dozens of such examples. I'll just give you one more. Huffington Post published a piece titled, quote, Fathers are not needed, unquote. Both boys and girls need fathers. But we'll begin with boys. A boy has no built-in understanding about how to be a man, meaning a good and responsible man. Male nature is wild. And I have to agree with that. Male nature is wild. Left unchecked, it is wild. You know, we, we, we men like to kill things. We like, we like to do that kind of stuff, you know. That's men. men he, he says, male nature is wild, most obviously regarding sex and violence. If a boy does not have a father who models how a man controls himself, he will most likely not know how to control himself, let alone want to. That is why most males in prison for violent crimes grew up without a father. After the days of the riots in the U.K. in 2011, quite like the 2020 riots in America, Christina Oden wrote a column for the London Telegraph whose title says it all. Quote, London riots. Absent fathers have a lot to answer for. Unquote. In the column, she wrote, quote, The majority of rioters are gang members. Like the overwhelming majority of youth offenders behind bars, these gang, gang members have one thing in common. No father at home. Unquote. So do we need fathers? Absolutely. We need fathers. If the if if our society is going to retain civility, we need fathers. We need fathers. And so this morning. I'm going to look at some things, and using the word Father as an acrostic, I'm going to speak of some things that we need in fathers. First of all, Father, the word F, faithful in our duty as fathers. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, the Bible says, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And in Genesis chapter 18... And verse 19, speaking to Abraham, who's who's called a father of us all. Interesting he's called that, uh, and called the father of the faithful, and referred to as the father of us all. In Genesis 18 and verse 19, it's, this is what the Lord said about Abraham. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him, so God said to Abraham that I will know him; he will command, he will and teach his children, as household after him. You know, our, as fathers, we have a responsibility to train up our children that they will keep the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord. Uh, you know, this is why Abraham is called the father of the faithful. He's he's referred to as the father of us all. You know, faithfulness is the highest duty of man before God. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, Moreover, it is required in the stewards that a man be found faithful. Find faithful. And so, we fathers are responsible for the training for a life of our children, for a training of life of service to God and society. Well, we leave God out of the picture. Society's going to crumble. Society's going to crumble. You know, the Hoyle was talking in the Sunday school class about Edom, And, and of course, referring to also to how Edom was, was bent on preserving of itself. And Israel became that way. They became bent on their, their, their goal and their, their motive became the preservation of Israel, not the glory of God and God preserving Israel. And see, America, we have become more about worried about God preserving us and not us looking to God to preserve us. But we preserving us. You know, our society, our our country, our nation was built upon people who sought the wisdom of God for how to govern itself. How to govern itself. And we need fathers who will train their children through the wisdom of God and through faithfulness to God how to govern their life to please and honor God that they might be good and profitable citizens to society as well. In Proverbs chapter four, Solomon speaks about his father. In verses one through four, one through five he says, Hear ye children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, that's teaching. Forsake ye not my law, for I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. You want to live, keep my commandments. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. We're to teach them the duty—the duty, the duty God to God—to do right, not to follow their feelings, but to do right. Proverbs twenty-nine fifteen says, "The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame." And you know, we have to be faithful to the correct uh, for them that they would do right, not for reward, but because it is right. There will be a reward if you do right, but it may not be until eternity. It may not be for years down the road. There will be a reward. God will reward you for your faithfulness, but it may be later. The reward is not promise imminent. And so we need to discipline our children to do right, to be faithful. to Be faithful. And so... We need to be faithful in our duties as fathers. Secondly, the word A, we need to be available. You know, being a biological father is not the same as filling the role of a father. As we just, assist, we just read, 64 million fathers in America and only 26 million of those actually live with their children. So they're not really being fathers. How do you glory? How do children glory a father that is absent? What is there a glory about? You know, the word available means ready at hand. There's the idea of somebody who can be counted on, dependable. Someone that can be reached, called on, when in need of help or advice. You know, there's even, there are some that they're there. Children won't call them. They'd be available. In Proverbs 4 that we just read, I believe what we see here is a picture. Here is a son whose father invested in him and a son who sought his father's advice and help. We're going to see a little later that David gives Solomon last-minute instructions and challenges him before he dies concerning his kingdom. And his, his health and wellness. And so, so this is one who's available. Uh, James 3.17 says, The wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. You know, if you're too busy for them, the message is, they are not important. I had a nephew whose grandfather never gave him the time of day. Didn't want him around. Kid was just a bother. Then he wondered later when his grandson was a teenager, why he never came around to see him. See, we need fathers need to be available. We need to be there. When our children need us, we need to be there when they don't need us. If we're there when they don't need us, they will call us when they do need us. Available. Be a father that's active. Thirdly, teacher. Letter T, teacher. Ephesians 6, 4 again says, You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The Bible says that Abraham would command his children and his household after him. In Isaiah 38, verse 19, it says, The living, living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. The Father to the children shall make known thy truth. Who are your children learning the truth of God from? Look at Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Verse 1 through 7. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments." You see, we fathers need to teach our children. You know, when they are small, we need to read them the Word of God. Teach them the importance of the Word of God in application of life. It's vitally important that you have your children in church to hear the Word of God taught and preached. However, where they're going to see the application of it in real life is at home. Where they're going to see the practice of it It's not really in church. It's at home. We're not losing our young people because because there's not teaching the word of God in church. Often we lose them because there's not the practice of it in homes. That's where they're going to see it. That's where they'll learn the application of what is life? What am I living for? Dad, what are you living for? What's your purpose in life? They're going to learn that from you. What is afterlife? Is that important? Is that a value? Is that a concern? Why work? Why work? Why not take welfare? I mean, it's available. Well, you know, the Bible has something to say about that. If any man does not work, neither should he eat. Welfare stealing. Stealing from those that have and giving to those that have not because it will not work. Why be honest with our dealings and pay taxes? Well, the Bible says, thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not lie. Bear false witness. What is God's purpose in life? What is, what is, what is the purpose of the church? What is the church? All these things, you know, we need to learn. You know, these, these can make a difference in their lives by how you view and live life. Is it important? To you? Is church important to you? Is church functions important to you? Is it a priority? Or is every little sniffle enable you to stay home? I remember a missionary telling us one time when he was driving truck, before he became a missionary, he was driving truck and he got home one, one Saturday night kind of late. He said Sunday morning I was tired. He had a teenage son in the house. And he said, I told my wife, I'm too tired. I'm not going this morning. I'll go tonight. She said, After a while, he said, I heard mom saying to my son, you know, get ready for church. She said, I'm not going today. Dad's not going. He said, I drug myself out of bed, and I said, son, we are going to church. We are going to church. See, so it needs to be a priority. What is your priority in your life? What we make a priority in our life is passed on to our children. Teacher, fathers to the children shall make known thy truth. Humility, the letter H, humility. Now, some may not consider this all that important. After all, the father is the figurehead of authority in the home. However, for authority to be respected and appreciated, there must be humility in leadership. Or an, an acceptance of responsibility for failure and wrongs done. That's what humility is in leadership. Look at Proverbs chapter 15, Proverbs 15 and verse 33. Proverbs 15:33 says this: "The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor, before honor is humility." Before honor is humility. Look at Proverbs 18, verse 12. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. Well, you know, my kids really respect me. Are you humble? Do you, you apologize when you're wrong to your kids? Without making excuses. Because if you make excuses, it's not really an apology. It's not sincere. The Bible says here that before honor is humility. If you want to be honored, if you want to be respected, you need to be humble. You have humility. You know, somebody said, an old preacher said one time, that humility is simply being honest with yourself. You know, if you're not honest with yourself... If you think you're going to fool your kids, you're only kidding yourself. Look at Proverbs. There's a couple other verses here. Proverbs, or not Proverbs, James, I'm sorry. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. A couple verses in the New Testament. James 4 and verse 6 says... But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the pride, but giveth grace unto the humble. God gives more grace to the humble than does pride. In fact, God hates pride. We know that in Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep, that your laughter return to mourning and joy to heavenness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. You want to be lifted up by God? You want to be honored by the Lord? You want to be honored by those around you? Humble yourself. Humble yourself. First Peter five. First Peter five. And Peter knew what it was to be humbled. You know, Peter was a, Peter was a bigoted Jew who didn't want to eat with the Gentiles. And then the Lord dropped that vision sheet down three times. And that vision said, Would I have cleansed that call not unclean? Because he wasn't going to go. He didn't want to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Can you imagine? No, he didn't want to take the gospel to the Gentiles because they're unclean. And then after, even after that, he's he's, and I can't remember where they were, but Galatians chapter 2 tells us that I think it was in Antioch, and he came down the island, and he ate with the Gentiles until some Jews from Jerusalem showed up, and so he separated himself from the Gentiles, and even Barnabas was carried away, and Paul said, I confronted him to the face. Basically what I told him is, Peter, you're doing what is wrong in the sight of God. You know, Peter got the message. In Peter, 1 Peter 5, he says this, Likewise, verse 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Ye all, yea, all of you be subject to one another. Be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You know, we, we fathers need to be humble enough to apologize when we are wrong. Your children will respect you for it. If you will not, they will not respect you. They will not respect you. They will see you as demanding something of them that you will not give of yourself. And they will say, it's hypocritical. You know, we need to demonstrate humility by showing or demonstrating our need of the Lord's help. You know, we all need the Lord's help. You know, this is a, this is a you know, being a mother is a difficult, God-ordained difficult task. Being a father is a difficult, God-ordained task. And we need God's wisdom and help. And our children need to see that we're just not doing what we just think is right, but we're trying to do what we believe God is, is right in the sight of God. You know, in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7 tells us that Solomon asked the Lord, and he told the Lord, you know, the Lord asked him, "What, do you, what would you?" he basically said, what do you want, and I'll give it to you. And he said, thou hast made me king, and I am but a child. I know not how to go out, and I don't know how to come in. Give me wisdom and an understanding heart. Give me wisdom and understanding heart. You know, David consistently demonstrated humility before his people by, he would always, though he was king, he would ask direction from the Lord concerning the Lord's battles. Lord, should we go up or not go up? And, and one time the Lord said, "Oh, don't go up. Go, go around behind in the mulberry trees. What was he doing? He was he was demonstrating to his army that look, I am dependent on the Lord. I need the Lord's wisdom to fight the Lord's battles. Fatherhood is a battle of the Lord against the world, and we need the Lord's wisdom if we're going to be success in this. And so, humility. Fifthly, the letter E, example. Example. In, in uh, Luke chapter 11 and verse 21. Luke chapter 11 verse 21. The Bible says this. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted, and divideth his spoils. First Timothy five eight says that if any provide not for his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. You know, men are to be defenders of their of their homes, their wives, and children. Now the modern idea is that that is toxic. Masculinity for men to think that they need to be defenders of their homes and defenders of society. We now have the was Senator uh, uh, Senator of the Congress passed of uh, uh, a bill to came out of a committee to draft girls for the military you know that's that's this is this idea is uh, that men are defenders is an antiquated western cultural idea but go to first kings chapter 2 first kings chapter 2 first <clears throat> kings chapter 2 and, and follow me through this not thought because i'm not just talking about defending physically here it goes deeper than that first kings chapter 2 In verses 1 through 4, it says, Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die, and he charged Solomon the son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses, thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, whithersoever thou turnest thyself. Now he's charging him to be a man concerning the things of God keeping the judgments and testimonies and the law of Moses. And then he says, "...that the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, If the children take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth, with all their heart, with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on thy throne." Then verse 5, notice there's a change here. Moreover, thou knowest also what Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me, what he did to the two captains of the hosts of Israel." unto Abner the son of Ner, and unto Mesa the son of Jether, whom he slew and shed the blood of war in, in peace, and put the blood of war upon his girdle, and that that was about his loins, and his shoes that were on his feet. Do therefore, according to thy wisdom, let not his whore head go down to the grave in peace. Now some would say, boy, that's awful instructions. He's telling Solomon to go put Joab to death. Yes, he is and rightly so. See, David's challenge to Solomon to be a man, execute sound judgment, biblical judgment, here on some, to clear David's dynasty of shedding of innocent blood. And the only way innocent blood can be cleansed out of the land is by the shedding of the blood of those who shed it. Joab killed two men In peacetime, Abner and Amasa, he murdered them. And that blood was on his own hand. And unless unless Solomon dealt justice here and put Job to death for the murder, the shedding of blood of those men, he would be guilty before God of covering murder. He was also, he's instructed in that passage, it goes on, it says to exercise restraint over Shimei, who was guilty of insubordination. Verse eight tells us that. You see, these were acts that Solomon, that Solomon demonstrated that Solomon took his responsibility to protect his house and his kingdom seriously. See, first Corinthians sixteen thirteen says, Watch ye. That means to be on guard. Stand fast into faith. in the faith. Be faithful. Quit yourselves like man. Be strong. Show yourself a man. Be brave. Be willing to defend your home and others. You know, men need to be like sheepdogs that guard the flock. It's our responsibility. And we need to be an example of that. They need to be masculine. We want men to be men. And women to be women. But men who will fight for the truth of God's word. By the way, defending your home is the truth of God's word. You know, to fight to protect their homes and the rights of others, no offense to women, but this is a masculine trait that is instinctive in males that the left and the communist world is seeking to destroy to weaken our country. They want to feminize the men. Again, another You video. It was titled the "Borderline Grill: A Tale of Men and Masculinity." On November fourth, two thousand nineteen. Abigail Schreer tells this, says this quote: "The mass shooting at the Borderline Grill in, bar and grill in Southern California, November seventh, is a tale of men and masculinity." And, and I'm not going to read all this for sake of time, but you know, this guy was a shooter, came in shooting. He was a regular, but, but he came in that night to shoot. Anyway, and it goes on. Quote, but there were other young men there, too. One of them, 20-year-old Matt Winterstrom. In interviews, Winterstrom looks like the typical college student. Backward baseball cap, gray T-shirt, jaw scruffy, a few days' growth. On camera, he seems laconic, humble, willing to answer questions, neither eager for the limelight nor afraid of it. But as soon as he heard the shots, Winterstrom told ABC News, he knew quote exactly what was going on unquote. He had some friends, he had he and some friends grabbed everyone they could, pushed them down behind the pool table, placing their bodies on the girls. One woman who was celebrating her 21st birthday told good morning America. There were multitudes of men who got on their knees and pretty much blocked all of us with their back toward the shooter, ready to take a bullet for every single one of us. When the shooter paused to reload, Winterstorm grabbed a bar stool and tossed it through a window. He and his buddies pulled 30 to 35 people to safety. After getting each group safely to the parking lot, Winterstorm and his buddies went back for more. A reporter asked Winterstorm how he knew immediately what was going on in the loud, crowded bar. Quote, "Instinct, I guess," unquote, he said. "I'm here to protect my friends, my family, my fellow humans, and I know where I'm going if I die. So I was not worried about worried to sacrifice." All I want to do is get as many people out of there as possible. Now this is the masculinity we so often hear denigrated. It takes, as its duty, the physical protection of others, especially women. This masculinity doesn't wait for verbal consent or invitation to push a person out of harm's way. It sends hundreds of firefighters racing up Twin Towers to save people they were never met. Sent Sergeant Ron... Hellas, uh, the Ventura County Sheriff's Office, running in the borderline bar and grill where the shooter was waiting for him. Uh, and, and so this, this, is, this is the lesson. We need to read. And she says, the, so the, here's the lesson. Masculinity is a style of behavior, not a code of, con- code of conduct. It can be used for great good, and it can be perverted into evil. One of the most important tasks of a moral society must be to make boys into good men. Un- You see, men have a natural instinct. And we need to train our boys to be men. Men under control. But men, nonetheless, that will guard. That will guard themselves, guard their homes, guard their children, protect them from physical harm and spiritual dangers. You yeah, the world wants to feminize our boys. Because it will be easy to be overtaken if they do. One of the things they don't want in Russia is their boys feminized. They have no time for it. But see, probably the most dangerous area we're facing is the attitude of young men toward God. We need to guard against it, toward God and His commandments. And so, we need to be an example. And then lastly, letter R, respect for our position of authority. Ephesians 6.4 again says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Not to provoke them to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, this is, we need to have respect for our position of authority uh, that has been given to us. Because this is a great responsibility. We are the glory of children. The glory of children. There is a natural reason fathers are viewed with greater authority than mothers. Because it is given to them by God. In other words, so we need to use it wisely with good judgment and awe. And not be careless or flippant about it. It's a serious responsibility. The word respect means to, review, to view or regard with some degree of reverence. You know, Solomon demonstrated his reverence for being made king when he said, Look, I don't know how to go out. I'm, I'm like a little child. I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. And Lord, I need wisdom and I need an understanding heart so that I may govern this people, this great people. See, Solomon regarded his appointment with respect, with awe. It was a serious responsibility that was granted to him. Fathers, we are training, preparing our sons and daughters who have eternal souls for life. For life. What are we doing to help them? You know, we have, this, we have this authority been given to us. It's a serious responsibility. What are we doing to help us? You know, we fathers need help. What are we doing to help us? How are we preparing ourselves for the tasks? Are we training ourselves for the role we are to fill? You know, when, when people are put into position, often not times there's schooling to prepare them for it or training. Yeah, you know, we need to train. We need to, we need to educate ourselves. Read good books of others who have gone before us. And, and of course, study what the Bible says about it. Uh, you know, are we prepared to battle against the onslaught of the world, denying our own selves, to wage war against the devil's devices that are against our children? And they're out there. They're everywhere. Noelle Maring, I guess that's how you pronounce her name, wrote an article. It was on legatus.org, October 1st, 2021. And she said this, quote, philosopher Ed Fester recently wrote that modern society is adeptable i never seen that word before, so I had to look it up. It means, in a psychoanalytic theory. Anyway, and so it's in this theory, seeking to kill the father and defile the mother. It is a tidy summation of the twin targets of the woke movement, authority and innocence. Authority has long been targeted by undermining trust in fatherhood, both human and divine, in speaking with a strong, loving, and politically progressive grandmother about her interactions with her grandchildren, she noted, with bemusement, that no matter how much she and Grandpa might be similar in their grandparenting styles, he seemed to command an authority over the children that she did not. Maybe it was his deeper voice or his commanding height, she mused. But it seemed as inevitable as it was unintentional. There was not—this was not something the children were taught, but they something something they intuited and it hints to a reality of fathers as icons of authority. Men are not called to embody a type of fatherly authority because they are better than women, but because they are designed to express that aspect of God's love in a particular way. True authority is rooted in and subordinate to something beyond itself, ultimately God himself. In this way, a person's authority is both limited and ennobled. In Christ, we see that leadership in any capacity for men and women is a calling to servant leadership, a rebuke of the old trope that all authority is oppressive. Revolutionaries from Marx to Marcus wrote about the need to depose the father by undermining his moral authority through sexual licentiousness. In doing so, the great obstacle to revolution the family would be destabilized. They were correct. Most of societal pathologies can be traced back to either poor families or poor fathers or absent ones. Such a society is in want of manliness, not in excess of it. And here we see the intimate connection between the corruption of authority and the corruption of innocence. A society without true masculinity will not value, must let's protect, innocence. Unquote. I'm going to stop here. Let me say this. What she's saying is, a true society without true masculinity will not protect the innocence of the females. And what do we see in our society? With the feminist movement, there's a disrespect for women. A disrespect for women and a disrespect for life in general. Life is now cheap. See, our authority as fathers doesn't come from us. It comes from God. We bear, his, we bear His image. They call us Father. We call Him Father. We bear His likeness. And fathers... Would be fathers, should the Lord tarry. Men, we need men. We need good men who love God, are faithful to Him, who love, who will love and protect their wives and children from danger, both physical and spiritual. The spiritual is more dangerous, it's more subtle. And who will train their children to live, to please God. Be an example them of a life that pleases and honors the Lord and is a benefit to society yes the glory of children is their fathers do your children have something the glory of